Welcome to The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig, a podcast which endeavors to expose the truth behind legal stories that are distorted by mainstream media. And now, here's your host, passionate truth seeker and veteran attorney, Jill Rosenzweig. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig. I'm your host, Jill Rosenzweig. This week, I want to talk to you about something that relates to the killing of George Floyd. And I realized that I my last podcast episode was somewhat similar. Sadly, uh, I think that these things are happening all too often. And typically, I try to mix things up with the podcast, but I just can't even imagine not recording a podcast episode about what happened with George Floyd because it's just one of those things where I feel like it's almost my moral responsibility to cover that topic with you. So I want to talk to you about something that has to do with the way that the courts respond to situations like what happened to George Floyd. And this has to do with a concept in the law called qualified immunity. And I'm not sure if you guys know about this or not, but I think it's important to understand because I do think it's a contributing factor in why police brutality is something that we see uh, that has been going on for years and years now. And in some cases, I think there are studies that show that it is actually increasing, even though some might argue that that perception is just based upon the fact that we're seeing it more because of social media But the statistics surrounding police brutality actually demonstrate that the numbers have gone up in past years. Uh, So there's a site that tracks the number of police brutality incidents each year. And there seems to have been a steady increase since 2014. Each year, it seems to go up and up. Uh, And so one of the things that I want to talk about, this concept of qualified immunity is actually a concept in the civil law. So I'm not going to be talking about criminal law today. That's something that we could cover separately. But qualified immunity has to do with the idea that a police officer could be sued based upon his or her use of excessive force when making an arrest. But what often happens is, even if a court agrees that there was excessive force, it doesn't necessarily mean that the police officer will be held liable for what happened to that person because they will be shielded from liability based upon this concept of qualified immunity. And so I want to just break it down for you and explain to you what this all means and how it affects the way in which police officers handle themselves when making an arrest, because part of the issue here is looking at all the ways in which police officers feel that they can do whatever they want to do, and there are no repercussions. And I think that when you look at this from a civil liability perspective, you will see after we go through this why it is that police officers don't feel that they have to worry so much about any monetary consequences in terms of a civil judgment against them, even when they have killed someone who is doing pretty much nothing to warrant what has happened to them. And so I want to talk about a case that I feel pretty clearly illustrates 
this concept in the law, and it's a case that was recently decided by the Supreme Court. The case is called Casella versus Hughes. It was decided in 2018 by the Supreme Court of the United States. And it's a case where there was a woman named Amy Hughes. She apparently suffered from some mental health issues, and she was seen outside of her home one day holding a kitchen knife and stabbing a tree with the knife. And some person in the area called the police and three police officers showed up at the scene. And when they arrived there, they saw Amy Hughes standing outside in a driveway with a person who they later discovered was her roommate. She was standing about six feet away from her roommate. They were involved in a conversation and Amy Hughes was holding a kitchen knife by her side. She was not aiming the kitchen knife at her roommate, and they were speaking very calmly and peacefully, and there was nothing to suggest that Amy Hughes was about to attack her roommate or anything else that might suggest that she was engaged in a crime. And just to be clear, when the person called the police to report that Amy Hughes had a kitchen knife and was stabbing a tree, the call was for a wellness check it was not to report a crime. So when the police showed up on the scene, they were there to just check on Amy Hughes to see that she was okay. But nonetheless, when they got there, they saw that Amy Hughes was holding this knife down by her side. And apparently they told Amy Hughes that they were there. They announced themselves. They said, we're the police. Please put down your knife. They said that apparently twice. And There is conflicting testimony about this, but the police, two of the three police officers that were there said that they actually thought that she might not have heard them or realized that they were even there. So she did not put down her knife or even acknowledge that the police were there. She was busy talking to her roommate. And moments later, one of the police officers, a man named Andrew Casella, ended up shooting Amy Hughes four times. She was seriously injured. She was brought to the hospital and she survived the incident and ended up suing Andrew Casella for what happened to her. Amy Hughes ended up making a motion for summary judgment, basically saying that pursuant to the undisputed facts in the case, so essentially saying to the court, based upon the things that are not in dispute, the facts that we all know and no one's really disagreeing about, Amy Hughes was arguing that what happened to her was a violation of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, which essentially says in plain English that people have a right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. And so what she said was that her Fourth Amendment right was violated when she was shot during this incident. And she was moving for summary judgment based on that, asking the court essentially to rule in her favor without there being an actual trial in the case. And the lower court denied her motion for summary judgment. She then appealed that to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with her that her Fourth Amendment right was violated and that this officer, Andrew Casella, used excessive force when he shot her and that he did not have the reasonable grounds to do what he did in that moment. And so this case went up to the Supreme Court and the majority opinion in that case found that 
Officer Casella was entitled to this qualified immunity so that he could not be held liable for what happened to Amy Hughes. And I will link to the opinion here, but I think it's worth explaining to you because when you read this case, it really sort of outlines what the court's analysis is when it comes to situations like this. So the analysis of whether or not a police officer is entitled to this qualified immunity is basically to look at the situation and say, is the police officer not entitled to it? So it's almost like there's a presumption that they are entitled to it. And then you have to show that under the circumstances, they're not actually entitled to it because they've not met the specific standard that's set forth under the law. And so the first thing that you have to show is that the police officer violated a federal statutory or constitutional right. And in order to show that, you have to show that the police officer violated the person's Fourth Amendment rights by deploying excessive force against that person. And when you're assessing that type of claim, the court will look at whether the officer engaged in actions that are objectively reasonable. And when they review what's objectively reasonable, so objective means that it's not the police officer's subjective view of what's going on under the circumstances. It's an objective type of analysis. So you're saying, would another police officer under the same circumstances do the same thing? And what the court cases have said is that this is not based upon a 2020 hindsight type of review of the situation. The analysis is what would a typical police officer do under the same circumstances, given the very little time they have to assess the situation, given the level of threat that might exist. And so the circumstances of the situation are very important here. And when you look at the case law that has addressed this issue, the courts will look at various factors to determine whether there's been excessive force. And so the courts will look at the severity of the crime at issue, whether the suspect poses an immediate threat to the safety of the officers or other people, and whether the suspect is actively resisting arrest or attempting to evade arrest by flight. And so those are the factors that the courts will look at. And based upon that, the court will then assess whether or not the use of deadly force was objectively reasonable. And just say after assessing all of that, the court concludes that the force that was used was unreasonable. So let's go back to this scenario with this woman who's standing outside holding a knife in her hand. In that case, what's crazy is the majority of the court concluded that the force that was used by the police officer was excessive, that there was no real reason for this police officer to shoot this woman. But that's not actually the end of the inquiry. So you would think that if the police officer used excessive force, that automatically the police officer would be held liable for that person's injuries. But no, it's not that simple. There's a second prong involved here, and that's where there are some issues and where the law will often fail the person who is the suspect slash victim. And so the second prong of this analysis is whether or not 
the unlawfulness of the police officer's conduct was clearly established at the time. What this means is that the courts look to past cases. So this is called legal precedent. And they look at the facts and circumstances of all of the past cases to see if any of them have facts that match the current circumstance that's at issue. So in this case, what they're looking for is cases where a police officer approaches a woman who's standing there. There's no crime that's been reported. She's not actually doing anything where there would be any kind of idea in one's mind that she is about to attack a person. And yet the police officer goes ahead and shoots this person. And so what the courts will do is they'll look through the cases and they'll say, okay, are there any similar cases in the past? If the facts cannot be matched up with another case that's already been heard and decided by the courts, the courts will conclude that the unlawfulness of the police officer was not clearly established at the time, meaning the police officer did not have proper notice that what they were doing was against the law. And so because of that, they cannot be held liable. So what this means is that if a police officer does something that is clearly excessive force and any normal person would be able to conclude that what they did was not proper and it must have been unlawful because it went way beyond what the person needed to do under the circumstances. If the plaintiff in that case is not able to find a case that has very similar facts, the court will say that that police officer cannot be held liable because they didn't have proper notice that what they were doing was illegal. And when you look at certain cases, it shows how shocking this concept in the law could be. So for example, there was a search and seizure case where these police officers went into someone's home, they found counterfeit goods, they ended up pocketing some of the goods. So they basically stole goods from this home when they were placing someone under arrest. And when the court looked at whether or not these police officers were entitled to qualified immunity and that meant effectively shielding them from liability, the court concluded that even though it was clear that what these police officers did was unlawful and a violation of the Fourth Amendment, because there had been no similar cases in the past, they could not be held liable because they, quote unquote, did not have sufficient notice that what they were doing was unlawful. Even though, again, it was very obvious, it would be obvious to any of these people that what they were doing was illegal. So that is the gaping hole that exists within the legal system, is this qualified immunity that has become much more expansive over the years. And just to explain where this whole thing came from, the right to sue public officials who violate people's legal rights dates back to the Civil Rights Act, which was established in 1871. It's now under Section 1983 of the Code. And essentially, when it first started out, it was very straightforward. If a police officer went beyond the confines of the Fourth Amendment and used excessive force, that police officer could be held liable for that. But what happened was in 1967, there was a case where the Supreme Court 
carved out this narrow exception to the law where the court said that if it can be shown that the police officer was acting in good faith and essentially inadvertently violates the law, then that police officer will not be held liable. And since then, this little narrow exception has been blown up into this much wider thing. And now the idea is that unless you can find a case where the facts are so similar that there's no way to argue that the police officer was not on notice of what he or she was doing was unlawful, then the police officer will be shielded from liability. Now, why is this a problem? Well, I'm hoping that you can see why this might be an issue. The glaring issue here is that this signals to police officers and the governments that employ them that there's very little recourse when it comes to police brutality. And so where is the incentive to make any kind of effective change? There's really no accountability, at least from a civil perspective, when it comes to what these police officers are doing to people. And going back to George Floyd for a second, even if a court acknowledges that what happened to him was a glaring violation of his Fourth Amendment rights, that does not necessarily mean that these police officers would be held civilly liable because unless there are cases that would actually be precedent in this case where the facts are quite similar, the police officers can make the argument that they did not have sufficient notice that what they were doing was unlawful. And just to be clear, when it comes to legal precedent, if you have a case that's being held in one part of the country and there happened to be a very similar case in another part of the country, that case may not be precedent. It may just be a persuasive case, but not necessarily considered precedent. And here, if the case is not precedent, then it's not something that a police officer would be held to. It would not count as sufficient notice. And so when you look at precedent, it's basically a pyramid. So all U.S. Supreme Court cases are considered precedent, right? So any case that's decided by the Supreme Court, you would say, okay, that's something that would put a police officer on notice. And then when you go a step down in terms of the court system, it would be anything that's decided by the federal courts that rule over that part of the country that the police officer lives in. So, for example, if you have a case in Minnesota, that Minnesota case is only really governed by cases that would apply to Minnesota and the circuit court that controls that specific part of the country. So, again, there are certain limitations when it comes to legal precedent, And then you also have to consider that there are a bunch of cases where, similar to the one I just talked about with the woman who's holding the knife, if the case gets tossed out, so the majority opinion in that case was that the police officer was entitled to qualified immunity and the police officer would not be held liable for what happened to that woman after she was shot four times because, again, the court concluded that there was not clear legal precedent 
spelling it out for the police officer that he should not be shooting someone who's just standing there and not posing a threat to anyone. And so that case does not actually put police officers on notice that they shouldn't do something like that. If anything, that case establishes to all police officers, because it's a U.S. Supreme Court case, so that case would apply to police officers all over the country, that they are actually entitled to qualified immunity if they shoot a person under similar circumstances. So just to be clear, the only cases that really count in terms of putting people on notice that they shouldn't do certain things are cases where the court concludes that the police officer did violate that person's Fourth Amendment rights. And so the only cases that really count here as putting people on notice are cases that result favorably for the person who was abused, not for the police officer. And there aren't that many cases like that. And so the whole idea that you're not entitled to qualified immunity if there is a similar case It's not even that simple. It's whether there's a similar case that has specifically been decided in favor of the person who's claiming that their rights were violated by the police. And again, there are just not that many cases like that. So there's very little notice that you could even point to when trying to hold police officers accountable for their actions in civil court. And so... What this means for a case like George Floyd is that it could turn out to be very frustrating for the family if they decide to pursue legal action uh, from a civil perspective. Right now, I believe their focus is on the criminal side of things because obviously that's their main concern is that these police officers are arrested and convicted of murdering George Floyd. But if they do decide to turn to the civil courts, my concern is that they will be met with this qualified immunity argument, and it may turn out that they are not very satisfied by the outcome. And when people are hearing about cases like this and feeling very frustrated and helpless, I think it's important to understand what issues are in place in terms of the way that the law treats these cases, because I do think that that is a major component of why we hear these things continuing to happen in our society, because the way that the law protects police officers is that they are effectively shielded under most circumstances from liability. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. And obviously, my thoughts are with George Floyd's family, and I just hope that I'm wrong and that the resolution of this case is very different than what I predict. So those are my thoughts for today. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. (laughs) 